Salutations, peace, and blessings. You're listening to the Kneel Down Podcast. I am your host, the Commish, and we are going into a weekend like no other where we're talking about the divisional playoffs in the NFL. I have to backtrack just a bit and talk a little bit about the NBA for a second, and I'm going to blend everything in together because if anybody out there that is following basketball, maybe a little bit more so than football, if you think about how things are unfolded in the NBA, you have to find the definition of the word crazy, and I'm sure you'll find a number of defining words and meanings behind the word crazy but i gotta believe when you're thinking of the word crazy the one thing that comes to mind is that trade that was pulled off a few days ago between the nets and the Cavs and the pacers and the rockets you got four teams locked in to a four-way trade all because of one james harden Now, what's disappointing about all this is not the trade itself. I mean, I understand the nature of the business when you're talking about making trades that's supposed to be effective, beneficial, and lucrative towards your team. You're trying to find ways of trying to be successful and productive. And I I get all that crap. You know what I mean? It's the fact that there's no reason why James Harden should be that valuable to one team. You can say whatever it is you want. Oh, he's a scoring champion. He's done it two or three seasons in a row. This guy averages about 30 points a game, blah, 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 blah. If there's a reason why he's averaging 30 points a game, it's because this man has no other objective. He has no other reason but to go out there and shoot the lights out. All he wants to do is play offense. All he wants to do is just shoot the ball. All he's concerned about is making his shots. So relatively speaking, if you shoot enough, if you're shooting, say, 60 shots, chances are you're going to hit a third of those shots. Even if you hit a third of those shots, we're talking 20 shots, that's still 40 points. James Harden has made it his prerogative his perspective, his objective, his goal to go out there on the court and shoot the lights out. And the Nets, for some reason, said, you know what? We can use them on our team. Why? You break you break this team apart. You break the Brooklyn Nets apart. It was a well-gelled team at that point. You had Kevin Durant. You had Kyrie Irving. You had um, Derek Allen. You had Levert. You had these guys on the squad that were going to give you bona fide minutes on the court. They're going to give you 10 plus once they step on the court. Not to say it was guaranteed. I, I understand that maybe for some of the role players, it might not have been guaranteed, but what you got out of Derek Allen, I have to believe with Derek Allen, you could have had a double-double a night. And if it wasn't a double-double a night, it's mainly because maybe his game was off a smidge, right? But you decide to trade away what could be a very well-put-together nucleus 
of a Boston, I'm sorry, a Brooklyn Nets team that I think in the beginning of the season had the Nets at least as a qualifier with a chance to maybe go to the finals. Okay, I think that's fair saying that you have Kyrie Irving and you had Kevin Durant and you had Kalis LeVert and you had Derek Allen. These guys were going to hold the ship together to make that team productive, to make them progressive throughout the season. So I, I get that. And it, it, it made sense. You didn't have any disruption on that team. You didn't have any distractions on that team. You had guys that knew their role. You had guys that knew what they were supposed to do and may still know what they're supposed to do out there on the court. But then you throw the biggest wrench in the works by allowing James Harden, enabling James Harden into a situation where now he is a part of the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, if you're a general manager, if you're an assistant general manager, if you're a vice president or president of operations, if you're the owner, you couldn't be more jubilant right now. You, you couldn't be any more elated than you are right now because you feel as though you've made one of the biggest trades and the biggest moves in NBA history by signing this average at best shooting forward Maybe a point, well, he's not a point guard, but definitely a, sh a, sh a shooting forward or shooting guard, small forward, we'll say. You signed this guy to whatever length of time his contract has, depending on if it's two seasons, three seasons, what have you. And you bring him to this organization. And if you couldn't tell by the look on Kevin Durant's face, it was a picture worth a thousand words. This man was destroyed. He was shell-shocked, if anything, but definitely destroyed. It was like the air was let out of this balloon. He was deflated. Nothing about his body language, nothing about his facial expression showed that he was excited to have a person like James Harden on the team. And you can say what you want, ladies and gentlemen. We can understand that there could be just one person that could be the bad apple of the whole bunch. And it only takes but that one person to ruin the consistency of a well put together team. Now, many of you probably think, well, the, the Nets were not well put together. But we don't know that because we didn't. We've only been in this, uh, this season for what, maybe 12 games? Going on 13 games, we'll say maybe roughly at minimum, maybe 15 games close to that so who's to say if the team that they had going into this was going to be the team moving forward that's going to take them far into what could be it may still be the playoffs now some may say that's putting the cart before the horse i get that too because there's no telling if the nets are going to survive this type of season we're to still talking about 72 games right but james harden goes to the nets in return the Rockets are the only benefit, the only beneficiary of this trade. They're the only one that benefits from this. Because for what they receive, they receive Victor Oladipo, and not one, not two, not three, but four first round draft picks. So now both sides are happy, right? You would think they just get John Wall 
during the offseason. They got John Wall. Now they're getting Victor Oladipo, and then they're getting some other guys to play the roles, what have you. Okay, but where where do we think, at what point do we think that what the Nets have done that they've made the best move in NBA history. Does anybody believe that for what they've done to make this team better, that they've sacrificed a part of this season in large part because of what they think they can rebound with down the road during the season, going to the playoffs with a James Harden on their team? I don't see chemistry. I don't see anything relatedly close to happiness. I don't see team. I don't see players that um, are looking forward to having James Harden on the team, and it's it's a, it's a very discreet, transparent team as far as the response to the questions. Nothing about this looks good at all. And if you ask me, the Nets have now lost, dare I say, thrown away millions of dollars on a team that had every chance in the world to be a good, dare I say, even great team going into the late portion of the season. Now we won't know because now we think that with James Harden, this should solidify a spot in the playoffs. This should solidify a spot in the finals. How can we say that? How can anybody be so daft to come out and say, this is it. This is the team that's going to put you in the finals. There's teams in the East right now that are just as, lo- just as loaded, if not more loaded, than the Brooklyn Nets. And that's even with Durant and Irving and Harden. And I can't think on how this team now gives me any type of reason to believe that they will be successful enough to even go to the finals to perhaps beat a LeBron-loaded L.A. Laker team. And this is probably best-case scenario if you're talking about Brooklyn. You make the finals, you make it to the the, the one round when you're going up against LeBron James and all of his henchmen, and, you know, you go at it for seven games to see who's victorious. Okay, fine. But if you ask me, if you're asking the commission tonight, the main question is, how will chemistry be established amongst these three powerhouses? Because they all have super egos. They all believe they need the ball, should have the ball, should be scoring the ball. And whether they tell you that, that's the first thing they're thinking. It's the reason why Irving and Durant were comfortable where they were. And that Durant didn't have any problems with answering questions regarding the, the nature of the team and the movement of the team and the future of the team. But now... You look at a man like like Kevin Durant, and he is pissed. He is beside himself. He can't muster the words to describe how he feels right now. I can see it on his face. They say a picture's worth a thousand words, and he's probably said about 5,000 just from the look on his face. But it's a shame. It's a shame how you could just ruin a season just that fast because you feel like you need a James Harden. He probably could have been better some other team. But regardless of all that, it was crazy. That trade is the craziest trade I might have seen or ever seen in the NBA. And to segue from one crazy to another crazy in the NFL coaching carousel, 
I got to believe when you look at the teams that have hired these coaches and Robert Salaf for the Jets, Urban Meyer, shout out to Urban Meyer. This man is back coaching football again with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Arthur Smith, I believe, was just signed to the Atlanta Falcons. When you look at these coaches, you can shrug your shoulders and say, well, you know, I think the team did what they had to do. They looked like a well-fit couple regarding coach with team. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what to expect out of Urban Meyer, quite frankly. He hasn't coached in about, what, three seasons, maybe four seasons with uh, Ohio State. And I don't know if he's ever coached in the NFL. He might have been a, a defensive coordinator, lineman's coach. Or who knows what he might have been in the NFL. But nothing about Urban Meyer gives me any feeling of elation to know that he's going to be coaching the Jaguars. It's just the fact that it's such a comfortable fit to come practically out of nowhere. To once talk about perhaps being the coach of the Giants or maybe some major market team to find himself somewhere in the cozy northern part of Florida, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I'm pretty sure the owner, Shah Khan, pretty much came and, and, and took out his checkbook and said, you just name your price, Urban. We need you here in the worst way. And Urban could not refuse that. He couldn't deny the fact that he wants to coach again. I mean, we are talking about his health issues. I mean, that was the reason why he left Ohio State, right? I mean, this man was falling apart. I mean, I think he had an IV in the last interview that I saw. This man was, it was critical. At least that's what we thought. And here he comes back out of nowhere, like a thief in the night, coming out and saying, I'm going to coach again. And why? Because he realized that the Jaguars are going to have Trevor Lawrence as the first overall pick. Now, let's play devil's advocate for a second. If the Jaguars was not picking first overall and the Jets were, would he have come out of nowhere? Would he come out of the shadows and, 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 and grace the NFL with his presence and said, I need to coach this team to win? Sam Darnold's still sitting there. And up until they selected Robert Salah as the coach, Urban could have gone to New York. That's a major market team. So what's the problem with the Jets that he felt as though he didn't want to be there? That's the problem I have with a lot of these coaches today. I think they have more say over the situation. And and here's the flip side of that. Even if the coaches don't have more say, the owners truly dictate who they want on their their squad and their organization. They know exactly who it is they're pulling for. So that that makes it even more bothersome because I don't think anybody's out there looking to see where Eric Biennemi's going. And Biennemi has been one of the best coaches or dare I say um, assistant coaches out there for a long time. It's not like this man's been coaching just for a few years. He's been coaching for several years under Andy Reid. And I've yet to see anybody clamp down on him. And there's four teams that were without head coaches right now with the Eagles, the Chargers, Lions, and the Texans. And, and, And from what I understand, he's had multiple, multiple visits multiple interviews so the question has to become what is the problem what is the enemy asking for that no one's pulling the pulling the trigger on him with I, I i can't figure this out what is it that he's asking for that has a lot of these organizations a lot of these teams saying 
no, you're not the right fit. What does it take to be the right fit as a coach in the NFL? Do you have to be an Urban Meyer that made his bones, dare I say, in college football? If Nick Saban was not as hot of a coach right now in college football, would he have had a shot with any of these teams right now? Would he have had first dibs over some of these other coaches that deserve a, a, a place or shot or even an opportunity to be on a team? And I just, I, I find it a bit hypocritical. I mean, you have these guys that come up in discussion, but yet you don't want him. You want Urban Meyer. You don't necessarily want this guy, but you'll settle for an Arthur Smith. And that's not taking anything away from him either from Tennessee. They've had a very good season the last few seasons. And the same can be said about Robert Salah. I just believe that with a lot of these coaches today, you have so many owners, presidents, general managers that have their set favorite. They have a person in mind. And they've probably had a person in mind for years that they want to give a chance in spite of the lack of experience that they might have in the NFL. Well, I mean, all got to do is know John Elway, get in cool with him, maybe get in cool with his wife or his kids. And maybe I have a shot at coaching in the NFL or maybe he get in cool with uh, the Johnsons there in New York since it's so it's so close and commuting. Maybe I need to hit uh, the Johnsons up maybe for a spot as uh, assistant coach or something. There's got to be a spot on the roster for me somewhere. Talk to Joe Douglas, you know, entertain the kids, you know, uh, do some baking with uh, his wife. But, I mean, that's all it seems like it takes. We, we went above and beyond to get Adam Gaze as the coach. And look what it led this team. One of the worst records in its history. Like, who was the fool that decided that Adam Gaze would be the best fit for the New York Jets? <laughs> Whoa. And then you look at Urban Meyer, this guy steps off a plane like he's Clark Kent or Bruce Wayne, and he just goes right into the Jacksonville organization. Hey, sign me up. You know what? We can use you, Urban, in spite of your health. In spite of what your wife might have said, in spite of what your family feels about you, we can use you here in Duval County. Shout out to them fellas out there, ladies out there. It's sad. It's just a mockery of where we are now in business. Because I think nepotism and favoritism stands over a lot of things. It, it, it reigns supreme when it comes to employment. You just got to know somebody. You ain't got to be a coach. You ain't got to know much about being a coach. Please, we can do that on the fly. All you do is listen to this person, read up on this book for dummies, and before long, you could be one of the better coaches in the league. It's crazy. As I said in the beginning of this show, it is just pure craziness to, to sit here and think how these coaches are so quick to get jobs. And then the coaches that you think would last forever get fired on the spot. Doug Peterson. I mean, come on. We're making such a big deal over the fact that he didn't play Carson Wentz for four games. I can remember, I think it was Ben McAdoo that decided to sit down Eli Manning, even though he was completely healthy for a game and ruin his chance at the Iron Man Award or Iron Man Legacy or what have you. Sometimes these coaches just make foolish decisions, but you hire these coaches. You took the time out to bring them into the organization. So who's at fault? 
Everybody else can see it clear as day, but not the people in charge of hiring. Makes you wonder, right? It's just crazy. So says the commish. I am going to touch on the 2020 NFL divisional playoffs that start within the next 12 or so hours. Exciting time. I've said this. I don't know how many times, you know, people probably saying, gosh, commish, get over it. You know, <laughs> we know it's exciting, but you did. I, I got to believe I don't have, you know, the, the, I don't have the list as far as TV ratings go, but I got to believe that when you're talking about the NFL playoffs, it's higher than any sport you can throw at us. Be it the NBA, be it Major League Baseball, be it the National Hockey League. Please. There's just no comparison. There's no competition. You think NFL, this is what you want. This is what you get. You know, there's football parties from the East Coast to the West Coast, from the northern part of U.S. to the southern part of U.S. And, and these people are devoted to their time and football. College football is done. Shout out to the University of Alabama for showing us how, again, how to whoop someone's tail on TV, in public, <laughs> in front of millions of people. Thanks for showing us again how easy it is just to win another championship. But I guess if you're Nick Saban, you just mentioned the name and before long the tough the tight the, the, the top tightest toughest recruits i'm trying to say come out of nowhere just to sign up with this man it's amazing it's amazing what nick saban has done kind of reminds me of what uh pete carroll had in usc for some time but i digress the playoffs for this weekend Start Saturday with the Rams at Lambeau Field against the Green Bay Packers. This is around the time I do my prediction, so I'm going to keep things honest. Green Bay is six and a half point favorites, which I guess might have been bumped up to seven by now, maybe even seven and a half because they're playing in Lambeau Field and not in the sunny, sunny skies, warm climate of LA. But if I've said enough, on this podcast and if i've said enough in my shows the rams have the best defense of all the teams that remain in the playoffs i don't care what anybody says you can shout out the the commission said you're dead wrong commission but i'm telling you right now the rams have the best defense right now in the nfl when you look at these teams there's only eight left you don't look at Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers. You don't look at uh, Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen. You look at the defenses. You look at what these defenses could do and what they're going to be doing. Sunday night, Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, Sunday, whatever. Whatever time they fit in. And the Rams have the best defense going up against Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau. If there's a benefit, if there's an advantage to this game, is that they're playing in Lambeau Field, which is something that even Aaron Rodgers hasn't done in the playoffs. Most of the times, he's on the road. He's traveling to go into this place and that place to play a playoff game. It's rare that he plays a home game this early into the playoffs. He's done it before, I know. But with this opportunity to play there in Green Bay against the Rams... Maybe it's poor timing. Maybe it's fate. I don't know what Aaron Rodgers could do against his Ram defense. This is why I'm selecting the Rams and I am taking the seven points, what have you, because the Rams will find a way to win. 
with the defense. I know Jared Goff is not the best. I know that John Wolford is not the best. But they all got to do is run the ball. You run the ball and they can dunk the passes five or ten yards just to move. They can move the ball. That offense is still known for moving the ball. Not to say that Aaron Rodgers won't. But my question really comes down to which defense is going to show up on Saturday afternoon there in Lambeau Field. Give me the Rams. And what probably is an upset. I wouldn't call it that, but let's call for what it is. A lot of people expect the Packers to go far, maybe into the Super Bowl. I don't know. Rams defense still looks good to me. Give me the Rams. Ravens at Bills in Buffalo. Now, Buffalo is favorite two and a half, three points. So similar scenario. It's going to be a close game. Uh, The rumor has it there may be snow on the ground. We know it's going to be cold as you know what. Lamar Jackson has not taken on these elements ever, ever in the playoffs. Now, that's not to say that he won't be prepared, but I got to believe with brand new atmospheres comes pretty much an inexperienced quarterback to be able to lead a team on offense up against this Bill defense that plays very well at home, mind you, very well at home. I like Lamar, what Lamar Jackson can do to move that offense. And given the conditions of the field, I really do favor Ravens to win this game. As much as I've been preaching about the Bills and Josh Allen, and don't get me wrong, Josh Allen's going to have a spectacular game. This is what he's living for right now. The moment right now is what really matters most to Josh Allen because he has weapons to, to help him move the ball. Stefan Diggs and, Joe, and Cole Beasley, and he has a running game with Singletary and Moss. I think Moss is hurt. However, they'll find a way to move the ball. But that Ravens defense did something to me last week that I was shocked to see. And they shut down a Derrick Henry to just 40 yards on on the floor, on the field. So whatever running game Buffalo has, you you can scrap that. It really comes down to what they do in the passing game for Buffalo. And that becomes the question. How is Josh Allen going to respond to this team, this Ravens team? Ravens has a lot more on defense to play for. I like the Ravens and what could be a shocker against the Bills. Give me those points. I like the Ravens. Browns and Chiefs. Browns versus Chiefs at Arrowhead Stadium Sunday afternoon at 3.30 or something, 3 o'clock, what have you. Kansas City's favorite 10 points. 10 points. Now, everybody's saying Kansas City hasn't blown out a team 10-plus points since the beginning of Adam. Now, listen, I I get it. I understand. It it, it leaves a lot to be desired when you're talking about the Chiefs winning by 10. But think about this, ladies and gentlemen. When the Chiefs played the Texans this time last year in the divisional round, they were getting smacked by about three possessions, about three touchdowns. I think they were down by 21 points at halftime. And what did they do? What did the Chiefs do? They responded and shut down that Texans offense like it was no problem. Like they didn't even exist on the field. And before long, Patrick Mahomes reigned supreme again. I don't know what the Browns could do to bring some of that glory back from what they did against Pittsburgh, but it's going to be a hell of a show for them to even come close to a team that's favored by 10 points. You got to go with the odds in this case. Give me the Chiefs at home against the Browns. Look for Mahomes and and Baker Mayfield to go at it on Sunday afternoon and in the late game between the Buccaneers 
and the Saints. Tampa Bay is going to New Orleans one more time. The shot against Drew Brees and probably the second best defense in the playoffs right now with that Saints defense and Tom Brady. Tom Brady's going to find a way to win this. New Orleans is favored by three, but I think Tom Brady has an idea of what he wants to do with his team. And if Washington, shout out to Washington, has done anything to Tom Brady, he's helped him realize that this team has to play better, both offensively and defensively, in order to match what the Saints will do at home in that evening game. Give me the Buccaneers and what Tom Brady is going to do to Drew Brees to give Drew Brees more gray hair. You see, he's already losing the hair he has left. That's because of these losses at home in the playoffs. It was like that last year in Minnesota. It's going to be that way again with the Buccaneers. Give me the Buccaneers over the Saints. What Tom Brady's going to do to pull another rabbit out of his hat against that Saints defense. And those are my predictions for the divisional playoff round in the NFL. I don't have a lot of time left. Should make for good football, as it always does. Keep following up with basketball. I'm going to give my two cents again when it comes time about the NBA. But for right now, we are concentrating on the NFL. And I've heard some news about Deshaun Watson out of Texas. Out of Texas, And that just leads to more of the disappointment I spoke about earlier with the coaches. There is something seriously wrong with these people in office. And I'm going to touch more on that when the time comes. Again, this is the commission. And you have been listening to the Kneel Down podcast. I wish everybody the best weekends. I would be back on here again after the last game this weekend, this Sunday night, to talk more about it in full detail. Peace and love to all those out there. I'm out.